welcome to the Nerd Party. Maximum warp. Punch it. Punch it. Punch it, Bishop! Punch it. Punch that shit! Let's punch it. Hello, everybody at home, and welcome. This is Punch It Writing in Star Trek. I am your co-host, Tristan Riddell, and with me, as always, is... Charlene Schmidt. Charlene Schmidt. We took the week off yesterday because of uh, life circumstances, looming deadlines, and just oh. all around uh, just uh, just bad times when it comes to schedules. And so we really hate <laughs> taking weeks off, but sometimes it's inevitable. But we are here this week to deliver you Punch It Star Trek goodness, and I am really excited about this week's topic because not only just because I came up with it, but because <laughs> I think it's genuinely fun and it's a what if and it's a mesh. It's a blending of multiple Star Trek series into one. And sure, it's, it's, it's something that I think you and I would be really good at explaining. And what that is, is what if, what if the wormhole in Deep Space Nine, the wormhole with the, with the prophets and everything like that. That, that one. They, that one. Like the main one. The one. Didn't go to the Gamma gamma Quadrant. Didn't go to the Gamma Quadrant. But instead, it went to the Delta Quadrant. Yeah. So this means a couple of things right off the bat. Yeah. One, Voyager can't be pulled to the Delta Quadrant because then immediately if they get pulled to the Delta Quadrant, oh, guess what? They have a wormhole right back and we don't have a show. So let's right. pretend that that never happens. Like Voyager never happened. Okay. So we've got that. And then that leaves us to have no knowledge of the Gamma Quadrant, because instead we are going to discuss the Delta Quadrant as we know it, just minus Voyager being there. Before we get to that, though, we do have a listener email that I want to address because we've been talking a little bit about you know, more feedback and putting it on the air a little more. And so I just want to keep doing that. We got a great email from a guy named Ben, and uh, he has a really good thing about Pike. So this is piggybacking on uh, last week. And so he said, I believe that Pike on the Discovery would battle the Kazons to defend the Okampans. He would try to keep the array for the Okampans, but if that was impossible, he wouldn't hesitate to destroy it to prevent it from falling into the hands of the Kazon. He wouldn't have to worry about the long trip home, for he would just use the spore drive to make the trip that much shorter. We totally forgot about the spore drive. Yes. Now, for those of you who didn't hear last week's episode, it was all about what would each captain do in Janeway's circumstance. Like if, if that yes. captain was pulled to the Delta Quadrant by the caretaker, engaged with the Kazon, engaged with the Ocompan and everything like that, what would they do? And yes, the spore drive, I think that's cheating. I, 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 <laughs> it's I too easy. Yeah. And it's, I mean, did we involve anybody on Discovery besides Pike, or was it really just about Pike's deal? Yeah, we might have entirely focused on Pike, if I'm recalling correctly. Now, granted, that was two whole weeks ago, and I don't even know what I did yesterday, so this is what we're working with, guys. So, like, in my mind, it was it was something like, I don't know, like, the I just didn't think about the Spore Drive because it's just... It's a huge story cheat. and It kind of is, especially for a situation like that, where you could totally just traverse across the galaxy in the blink of an eye and then it's done yeah i never uh, i <laughs> <laughs> i do find it entertaining though that we did not even think about that at all i think we didn't even mention it and mm -mm. 
and I think that's because you and I feel the same way about the Spore Drive. And a lot of people do. Like, you and I like Discovery. We oh, like yeah. the show. But I feel like a lot of people, if they like it or hate it, doesn't really matter, feels like the Spore Drive is what it is. It's a complete story cheat. It's a retcon. It's weird. It's can be used as a DOS Ex Machina a lot. And... Yeah, that. I just don't dig it. That is the real kicker, is that it's such a deus ex machina. You can make it do whatever you want, whenever you want. And then, of course, you can disable it however you want when it's convenient for the story. It is, I don't want to call it lazy, but yeah, it kind of can be. I mean, it serves a purpose. It is kind of cool in principle. And especially the more we learn about mushrooms in nature today, there is a mycelial network, and that's kind of cool. But at the same time, oh, oh, guys, there was a reason why things like the transwarp drive never I, really yes. kind of came to being because it's just it's too much. It's too easy. And not to mention transwarp beaming. Like, yeah, when 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 that was introduced in the in the Kelvin universe and they used it for Star Trek 09, I was like, OK, guys, that's a huge cheat. I'm going to let it go this one time because I'm digging this movie. And then they brought it up into into darkness. And I'm just like, God dang it. <laughs> Uh-huh. So we're going to do this again and again. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things. So, like, I kind of lumped that together with that. And so that's why I didn't think about it. But, you know, the, this listener is absolutely right. Thank you very much for bringing it to our attention. Yes, That totally would have been used. And, like, your, your story is very plausible, very feasible. But from our standpoint, we didn't want to use it because we wanted to focus on the character of Pike, not so much the technology that's at his, at his disposal truth are we gluttons for punishment do we like torturing ourselves with these kind of constraints because it's more challenging is that it well i think no i don't think it's a i mean i know you're just joking but it's really constraints is what drives creativity i mean like when you when you have something like a cheat that is transwarp or transwarp beaming or the spore drive when you have these things you can just write on the blank page and then all of a sudden they're at Kronos. Then all of a sudden they're back at San Francisco. You know, like it's something where it's so easy that it doesn't feed your creativity. We can you, When you can just write in the margins, oh, and they're there. W- what do you mean then they're there? Like they, they have to journey. And like there's and there's times <laughs> also when you if, if you keep doing that, your mind gets lazy. And then yeah. when just as an example... Sarek and Amanda didn't have the spore drive, but then all of a sudden appeared in the last episode. Yes. Okay. Yeah. We, I think we talked about that when we were talking about Discovery as it aired. That really was kind of odd. Like, I get it. They wanted that kind of last hurrah with those characters, it. but at the same time, it was so out of place in the story. And it makes you like, you're just like, wait, what's going on? And the thing is, is that like, <laughs> Oftentimes, you have to play to the lowest common denominator with your audience, but at the same time, your audience isn't stupid. And no. this was a major criticism of the final season of Game of Thrones, where like you establish for many years how vast the world is that you just built and how long it takes you to get from point A to point B. That's a major plot point where it's just like, oh, it took this character three months to travel this journey what happened along this journey and then in the final episode you have like people popping up all over the world and like within minutes and you're like yeah you're trying to serve the story but at the same time you you take your your audience out of it because they're thinking about how they got there and mm. that's what i'm saying is that like you get lazy so when you have the spore drive you're just like oh wait this person doesn't have a spore drive well screw it whatever they're just there yeah Ugh. 
Yeah, so I guess the moral of our story, the reason why we're talking about all of this is that lazy writing doesn't do anybody any favors. It makes you look bad as a writer. It bores the audience. It makes the audience question what they're watching. It doesn't do good. No. No, okay. and it's, it's, it's bad for the mind. It's bad for the audience. And when you are constrained, you come up with some really interesting things out of those constraints. You got to be inventive. Yeah. I mean, it's just like in the, uh, not to drone on, but it's just like back in the days of the Hayes Code. The what? The, the Hayes Code, like before we had the MPAA, like the rating system oh, that we currently have. okay. You had a thing called the Hayes Code in films where every film, no matter if it was a kid's movie or a mystery or a thriller or whatever it was, it had to pass a, a, a certain set of regulations and that was it. There was no like, okay, well, you can get away with one F word because it's going to be a rated, it's because it's going to be PG-13, but if you have two, it's R. It was nothing like that. It was just like, nope, these are the standards for movies. You want to make a movie, it's got to be in these standards. And so because this was constricting, you had some really, really interesting things come up where people had to get around showing someone having an affair or showing a sex scene. Like where mm. there was one thing that came to mind, I can't remember the movie, but there was one character who said, my wedding ring has never really quite fit. It's always had this tendency to fall off at the most inopportune times. And she was she was with somebody who wasn't her husband. And she goes in for a kiss and the camera tracks down. We don't see the kiss. We don't uh, see a sex scene, obviously. And the camera tracks down to her hand and her wedding ring falls off. Oh, we interesting. All, we all know what happened, you know? Yeah, you know, a lot of times I think we've lost that that kind of storytelling where things are insinuated. You have to fill in the blanks as the audience on your own. You can figure out what's going on. They give you just enough, but it's not in your face. You're not seeing them, you know, hitting the sack and getting it on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and so that's the thing is that like, it's, I'm saying that there's always a time and a place for, you know, extreme violence or sexual situations. I get that. I'm not saying we shouldn't have that. Uh-huh. I'm just saying that like when you're free to do anything, whatever the hell you want, you often go too literal when you could go figurative. Yeah. All right. Shall we start the show? Yes. Let's go ahead and do that. Okay. Because we've got such a good topic. Yes. It's a, what if the, the wormhole went to the Delta Quadrant? Voyager never existed. And so, boom, this is what they're discovering. So, now there's a, there's a lot of times where Voyager traversed a lot of the Delta Quadrant over seven years. It did. And so we're, we might have to bend some things or we might have to jump around some constraints just so we can get certain things in there because the wormhole would be stationed in one particular spot in the Delta Quadrant. And yes. so like the Kazon are very far from the Borg and the Borg <laughs> right? are very far from the, from the tick, the, the tac tac, you know? <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. Did you almost say tic tacs? I did almost say tic tacs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's kind of fitting for them, honestly. And so we'll have to we'll have to figure out some inventive ways to get some multiple stories in there. But okay, so here we go. Do we still have the profits? We have the profits. And my first question with this whole scenario is, is where do where does the wormhole kind of end in the Delta Quadrant? I think when you're exploring the wormhole for the first time, the big fear is, oh, does this lead to the Borg? Because they're mm-hmm. aware that the Borg are in the Delta Quadrant. Is this an easy way for the Borg to access? That's too easy. I say no. I say it's not in Borg space. Yeah. Um, 
I say it's in, wait, I wanted to say like season four, season five territory, but that's totally where they were. That's Borg space. <laughs> it kind of was. I kind of want to go pre-Borg where we're dealing with the Kazon, the Vidians. No? I uh, no, uh, no, like I think that's great, rich territory. But the thing with me is that I want to go in the middle so that we have an easier way to stretch like where people can come in. Like I want to mm. say like in the middle of their journey because that way like the Kazan are to the right and the, the Borg are to the left. I don't know, something like, I guess. Well, here's what we can do, Tristan, is since Voyager is not in the Delta Quadrant, that doesn't exist, we can work with the aliens that Voyager met along the way as a concept for, well, they're just in all sorts of neighboring areas. Mm-hmm. You know, think like uh, think like any kind of major city. You've got the city proper, and then you've got all the suburbs. Well, what if all the alien races that we encountered, maybe Borg included, somewhere down the line? I don't know. Let's let's worry about that later. They're just all in this kind of cluster right near the wormhole. Some are closer than others, but that's not to say that we can't work with that. I don't know if I like changing the geography of the Delta Quadrant. No, because I mean, really, we ha- we do have the freedom where we could do that. Do we? Because this is one of those times where we put on the constraints. Yeah. You know, like, like, do we? <laughs> right. We're kind of we catching the ourselves. Because uh, we did say like the Delta Quadrant exists as it exists if Voyager never was there. Mm, and so I think yeah. what we could do is like, let's just keep it a little bit more abstract. Like, okay. who would they see? Like, what would happen? What would be different? Because here, here's the thing is that like the founders... We would not have the founders. No. No, we would not have them. We would not have the Jem'Hadar. We wouldn't have the Vorda. Nope. They do not exist here. We That's Gamma Quadrant. We're, we're Delta Quadrant. Now, with that in mind, like the founders and the war with the Jem'Hadar and everything, everything like that, the Dominion, that was a big, big deal in Deep Space Nine. That was that was the, the largest backdrop right. of Deep Space Nine for a long time and i mean like we saw references to the dominion i think in season one or two is that right uh, like right I from the beginning they, yeah i think they were the gem hadar were introduced at the very end of season two if i'm recalling correctly but i remember thinking like hearing some sort of reference i cannot remember when i'm sure people are screaming at me right now but <laughs> it's very early on all the way to season seven like that was basically the show was boom there's this big baddie now yeah i i, I hate to say this but I think this is what would happen. I think the Borg would be the big baddie. You think so? Because, dang, that is... I mean, yeah, of course, they're the perfect backdrop for an epic war. Yes. But maybe I'm wrong here. But we did talk about this earlier inadvertently when we talked about transwarp and everything like that. The Borg don't really need a wormhole, right? They really don't. Because they have the transwarp hub. Yeah. So they probably might see that wormhole as eh, like nothing. It's irrelevant. Yeah. It's true because they've got their own means and they can invade whenever they want. So this is not necessarily a catch for the Borg. The Borg won't interfere with you unless you interfere with them until it benefits them. Right. I think we would definitely have to have Deep Space Nine deal with the Borg. And that would could be a big reason as to why we get the Defiant. Ooh, so are you thinking the Borg kind of come in like around season three-ish? I think it would probably be around the same time because as soon as it opens in the Delta Quadrant, we like, everybody's going to think, oh crap, like this, like Q-Who, we're going to remember this. And like, there's going to be a discussion with 
uh, with Cisco where he says, is like, oh yeah, the Enterprise totally went to the Delta Quadrant, found the Borg, we found out that's where they live. We got to be on alert, guys. Like we got, they got to constantly be thinking about it. I don't think they have to constantly show them, but they have to constantly be ready and think about it. Yeah. Also, I think there would be a lot of uneasiness about this wormhole being so close to a station. Do we go through the wormhole and see what's there? There's probably some trepidation. Should we just pretend like it doesn't exist and hope that they don't come through it? Mm -hmm. Or what I think would happen is they do go out there. They do kind of like go on a scouting mission to see if they can find the Borg, see where they are. But then you come across other races like the Mm -hmm. Vidians or the Kazon or... Uh, the Malon, I'm not sure. You kind of start off, like, they're kind of the sample, the starter appetizers <laughs> to the greater meal of the Borg, if you will. Oh, definitely, yeah. I think it would definitely come up later on. I think you would. I think it would happen kind of like it did in Voyager, where it's just like, it, where they're just like, they're starting to see more and more, like, they find the Borg corpse. They find a down yeah. ship. They're like, they're just like, oh, crap, like, we're getting close, or like, they're getting close to yeah. us. Like, the further they explore, the closer they get the scarier it becomes. And we can have a situation where O'Brien like tells stories about the Borg where O'Brien's just like, guys, we don't want to screw with this. Like we gotta, <laughs> we gotta be careful. For real. Yes. I would love to just have an, a moment of O'Brien. Just, he is scared beyond belief. Just like, Oh no, 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 no. We're not doing this. I have a family. I need to go run back to them right now. I love that idea where like O'Brien is the voice of reason here where he's just like, listen, I won't run from a fight, but I'm not going to start one either. Totally. Doesn't want to start it. We'll finish it if he has to. Now, I think the profit stuff can stay exactly the same. I think the, the, I think Cisco being the emissary is the same. I think um, his relationship to Bajor, them trying to bring Bajor into, um, into the Federation, I think all of that storyline can stay exactly the same. I think just the the races that you see trickle in every once in a <laughs> while, you're just like, oh, wait, yeah, no, we, see, we saw those guys. You know, like we, we recognize those guys. Well, obviously, I mean, in this continuum, we wouldn't recognize these people, but from our observer perspective of the all-knowing 2020 thing, yeah. Yes, exactly. You have to have hindsight to make this one work. I agree. The prophets can still be what they are, who they are, they live in the wormhole. They really don't necessarily have anything to do with the Delta Quadrant. Right. Right. So yeah. that's all intact. That's cool. And then meanwhile, though, we do have these adventures where we're exploring strange new worlds. Now, the Malon, I think, would be a presence, like a big presence, because anytime they find extra space, that's not going to affect their space. They're just like, oh, wait, we can dump our toxic waste in a different quadrant? Yeah. Um, Hells, yeah. How convenient would that be? Oh, yeah, I think that would definitely be, at the very least, a mini arc where they're coming over to the Alpha Quadrant, leaving behind a few radioactive tons of waste and space garbage, and then promptly leaving. And, like, what if they found a way to actually push their waste through the wormhole without actually having to go with it? So (laughs) So then they got to track it down and see who these a-holes are. And so like at Deep Space Nine, they're just like, is this an attack? You know, like, is this some sort of like bio-warfare? Like, what is going on? Like, and then Bajor is getting affected by it. That's the teaser, right? Is this some unknown object is coming through the wormhole? It's toxic. And then it's going to burn up in the Bajoran atmosphere if they don't do something about it. And who sent this and why? What is the reason for this? They go off and investigate. We've got a story. 
yeah and the mainland are like oh you're on the other side they're like yeah we're on the freaking other side and then they're just like oh that sucks well we're gonna keep doing what we're doing yeah (laughs) (laughs) i mean we didn't mean it at first but you know what we don't care yeah they're just like that's how much they don't care because they didn't even bother to see what was on the other side (laughs) (laughs) i like it i like it a lot a lot of messaging there social commentary Mm -hmm. about people who don't care about the environment that's the Malon. Oh, hells yeah. Hells yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Great Star Trek story. Bam. That's fantastic. So, and also, and man, these things practically write themselves. You have the um, Herogen who are looking for new areas to hunt. Oh, boy. You know? Fresh meat. Fresh meat. And so, I wonder, I think we could play the long game on this one where, ooh, like how would we do that? Like where maybe we see the Herogen early on. Yeah. Like, they're just like, oh, like we're a hunting race. And so we hunt stuff, you know, like they keep it really ambiguous. You know, there's like we go to a planet, you know, that that's open for game hunting. And this is what we do. And so skulls and we have a good time. Yeah. And so like people are just kind of like, oh, okay, well, I guess, you know, like if it's legal on that planet, I mean, we wouldn't do it. We've gone beyond the need to kill deer and cattle and stuff like that for existence uh but you know if you find a planet that does i guess that's up to you they don't realize that they're actually hunting sentient species until much later on or something (laughs) like that i don't know maybe i'm stretching it a little too much um what do you think i think i mean that's really like a five minute introduction before they figure that out you think like what if they tried to hide it from them no i feel like it's a point of pride for the erosion you're right they need their trophies you're right you're right so the human bias, the human pretense would be, oh, you're game hunting? All right, you do you, I guess. I mean, we're not going to take part, but you have fun. And then, oh, no, 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 you're you're killing humanoids now. This isn't cool. We got to fight back now. Like, no, no, we're going to hunt you guys. You don't understand. <laughs> yeah, we'll give you a five-second head start. Go. <laughs> so I guess we could. what we could do is adapt the uh, Tosk storyline that was yeah. early on. Yeah. Because he was being hunted. He was a sentient species. He was bred just to be hunted by this this other sentient species. Right. And so I think we could flesh that out a little bit more where we're like, we find someone, maybe they weren't bred for it, but they're seeking asylum. They're just like, oh my God, like this, this these people called the Herogen, they're, they're, they're tracking me right now. Can you help me out? And the Herogen gets there. And, you know, like Cisco says, go screw. And then we see them pop up much later on. We're like, uh, they, they, tr- they track this guy or this person, this sentient through the wormhole, and they're like, we're going to note this location for future reference, so please look out for us, because we're not going to let you get in our way again. Would it be interesting to complicate things with the Herosian a little bit, where, say they're preying on a weak race that really doesn't have any chance, like, dare I say, the Okampa, mm-hmm. who they don't know how to fight. They're, they're essentially prey animals to the Herosian. It's easy for them, but it's good sustenance. Does somebody like Cisco step in to help protect a race like the Ocampa or whoever they would be yeah. to help preserve their lives because they don't want to be a part of this? I mean, you have a little bit of commentary there again. Yeah, and you, you have the commentary. It's kind of like, you know, reminiscent of the U.S. foreign policy where it's just like, where do we get involved? You know, like, where is it morally right? Where is it morally wrong? Sure. And Cisco, like with the wormhole, that opens up a lot of questions where it's, where do we have jurisdiction? Where do we stick our nose in? Yeah. The Federation does not exist in the Delta Quadrant. So 
I want to jump off of, like, I know I didn't answer your question, but I want to jump off of that. Okay, go ahead. I think that would be interesting where this wasn't terribly addressed in uh, in Deep Space Nine and its original run with the Gamma Quadrant, but why didn't they start establishing bases in the Gamma Quadrant? Mm. Why didn't they, like, plant their flag a little bit more? Maybe it was discussed and I'm just not thinking about it. Like, maybe it was because of the founders. Maybe that's why they couldn't plant their flag, but... That would be interesting to me where like, why didn't you plant something on the other side of the wormhole? Like build a station over there and say like, okay, uh, this is Federation space now. Yeah, we claim this space. Maybe, I don't know. I don't think they did address that at all. Was it because the space was already claimed by other races? Or like us, did they just not think about that? I didn't get the sense, again, maybe I'm wrong, but I didn't get the sense that it was claimed because they could go through all the time like they didn't have to clear it with anybody they're like let's go to the Let, let's go to the you know like let's go to the to the gamma quadrant and like see what see what we see they never had to say like oh we have to um we got to talk with the tac tac first you know we got to make sure right. that they can give us passage oh tristan you are blowing my mind right now <laughs> i mean one way you could rationalize that is the founders the jemhadar mm-hmm. they don't care about that sort of thing their government or whatever whatever means by which they operate, that's not the way they work. That's the way we work. Mm-hmm. Not every alien species is going to work the same way. But at the same time, hmm, boy, have you got me thinking. <laughs> I, th- I think that would be a really interesting storyline yeah. to pursue where it's just like maybe because of the known added Borg threat because, you know, in with the Gamma Quadrant, we didn't know who the founders were. We didn't know who, what the Dominion was. And so we just kind of went in blindly. But because we know that crap is going to go down in the Delta Quadrant because of the Borg, maybe some Admiral is just like, hey, we need to set up some bases for an early alert system. Yeah, that's what they would be doing. They'd be kind of observing, trying to track movements. Is there an invasion on the way? That's their early mm-hmm. alert system, basically. Yeah. Maybe they develop a sister station where it's deep space whatever on the other side. Deep space nine and a half. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. No, that's a really cool idea. And then does that create issues where somebody else tries to claim that space? Like, we were here first and we didn't know about it, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Does that create some sort of conflict? Is the Federation unwelcome in the Delta Quadrant? Do other races not want them there? I think like that's an early storyline where they're like by season two, they develop a presence there. And by the end of season three, that station and presence is completely destroyed by the Borg or something like that. Mm. Now, here's another thought is Delta Quadrant species could possibly be ganging up a little bit. They could either be allies or enemies to us Mm. as well as the Borg. Now, right off the bat, they're not necessarily going to create an alliance with the Borg because the Borg are just going to freaking assimilate them. Right. But maybe that creates a very uneasy alliance with the Federation then to try and fight them with strength in numbers. So what you're saying is the Federation gets allies in the Delta Quadrant to fight the Borg is what you're saying. Yes, but the peace is always uneasy. It's kind of a reluctant thing where a lot of the Delta Quadrant races we got to know, they aren't necessarily as technologically advanced as the Federation. So for them, it's an advantage. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then for us, the Federation, we do need allies there. We need people who know the territory better than we do. We, We need eyes and ears, essentially. And so at the same time, though, we're not always getting along because we see things differently and 
all of a sudden there's these people from across the galaxy trying to tell us what to do. Well, that's crap. There's a lot of issues we could explore here. That's true. Like it would be it would be interesting where if we developed a present, if the Federation developed a presence in the Delta Quadrant, do they have the authority to reach out for alliances? And with those alliances, do they do they join the Federation or do they is it something separate where it's just like the Delta Quadrant version of the Federation where like Starfleet and the Federation say like, okay, we cannot if we're going to have a presence in the Delta Quadrant, we cannot judge other cultures by the same Alpha Quadrant rules. Right. Kind of like what Janeway was dealing with. Exactly. And then you have Cisco coming in saying like, well, that's a slippery slope. You know, like when does that kind of thinking bleed through the wormhole and into the Alpha Quadrant where there's just like, oh, somebody wants to somebody wants to join the Federation in the Alpha Quadrant, but they have a caste system. And then they say like, oh, well, you know, species X in the Delta Quadrant has a has a caste system and you let them join. You know, right. like, you know, what's going on. And so, like, we have that kind of business going on. I love the idea of trying to expand the Federation in the Delta Quadrant. And because then you have the conversation of manifest destiny. You have the conversation yes. of, oh, no, we're just trying to make allies. We're just trying to, you know, unify everybody. Like, no, you're trying to dictate human policies and human morality on everybody else. You know, and yeah. so you just have that going back and forth. And, oh, one interesting storyline just came to mind. Like, what if they do establish some sort of federation in the delta quadrant but then all of them come together and kick humans out of the federation on that side and so we have a union that we developed that is now against us in some form or another i love it the ultimate betrayal right where you know i think we would rein in certain races like the kazon that would stand to benefit from Federation technology only for them to exploit it and then use our own resources to work against us in the yeah. ultimate act of betrayal. And maybe some Bedeans are out there getting some organs, maybe the tac-tac, I don't know, one hand on the hips and you're dead. Yeah. There could be a whole lot of things happening here that, oh man, that would be a really good season finale. Mm-hmm. Is the ultimate act of betrayal. And then what? Because everything is kind of up. There's a lot of dead people. There's a station that's trashed to bits and taken over by now considered hostile forces. What do we do? Yeah, like that that final episode, that final scene where Cisco is in the briefing room and he says he's like, the Federation has just been expelled from the Delta Quadrant Accords or something like that. And like, <laughs> doom, 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 doom. Right. Oh, I love it. So then does the Federation kind of scoot away from the Delta Quadrant with its tail between its legs and decide, well, I mean, as far as the Borg are concerned, we just have to be ready for them if and when they come for us. What happens then? I I think like that could be, that could replace our big baddie. And again, it's another, it's, it's another parallel to what's going on, like what has previously gone on decades ago and what's going on today with U.S. foreign, foreign policy about what happens when you create the terrorist cell mm. you know like by like by going into an area that you have no business going into you help inadvertently create a force that is now against you you arm them you train them and then all of a sudden they hate you yeah and then so there's and so i think that's what could potentially happen and so i say the federation stands by its ground it's like it's not going to run away say like oh man we screwed up we totally created this monster and that's our fault (laughs) no 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 people don't act that way no 
And so the, I think the question is like, do we try to defeat them? Do we try to get back in? Do we try to reabsorb them? Do we find other allies to fight against them? What is going on? You know, like that's, that's oh my gosh, yeah, okay. What I think would happen possibly in part two might be the Federation retakes the station. Oh, so you think this Delta Quadrant Accord alliance takes Deep Space Nine? That's what I'm thinking, is they would take over, they'd kill a lot of people, the alliance would fall apart, and then the Federation is not only looking out for Borg interference, but now they've got to fight off these other guys who want to destroy them and and keep fighting for Federation technology. So ultimately, maybe they come to some sort of truce. There's Maybe there's some compromise at work. But that's going to make things extraordinarily uneasy and filled with tension in the Delta Quadrant. If everybody hates you, nobody wants you there, and they're just there to try and fight you, ugh. I like the idea of them lo- can, like losing the station just like they did you know, previously. Yeah. I, li- I like that idea because I thought that was really good storytelling. And I think that's one. I think you can't have it end hunky dory, you know. Like you can't no. have it end the way that we want it to. Where it's just like, oh, you know, like we're back in, or they're back with us, and it's all great. I mean, obviously, there's going to be. Hmm. I think. What if they helped create inadvertently created a civil war, where the Federation made this duplicate Federation, this Delta Quadrant Federation. And then within those 16 races, it was split down the middle where eight versus eight. And so they're just like, so by bringing them together, they were able to successfully bring them together, but they could not maintain peace. And so there started a civil war between these eight, like these 16 factions, eight and eight. And so then the Federation, our Federation has to decide, do we pick one side or the other? Do we vacate? Like now that we made this mess, do we say like, okay, we're out, sorry. Do we try to blend them together? I think that would make an interesting storyline where like they're trapped in a war that they created, but they don't know what side to fight on. Right, or do you take a side at all? And do you limit your resources because it's just too much and maybe non-interference is the way to go, even though you started this mess? Or Mm -hmm. do you bring in more resources and try to fight the situation with strength and numbers. I do think ultimately in the midst of this uneasy, you know, you've got some allies, some have broken off at this point, there's a civil war. Would eventually everybody come together to have an epic battle with the Borg in the Delta Quadrant? What if maybe they found a way to disable the transwarp network and say, we need everybody on the front lines to make this happen. Are you with us? I think that's a very good Star Trek storytelling tool. And I think that's a very good storytelling tool overall. Like it's used a lot, but it's used a lot for a reason. And Mm -hmm. it's the common foe, like the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah. And they're just like the Borg realize that this civil war is happening on a quadrant level. Yeah. And a quadrant wide level. And so they're going to take advantage of the situation. They're just like, we're going to go after these people's home worlds while they're off gallivanting and and fighting a civil war. And that's where... That's where Cisco can come in and say, like, listen, we we have to stick together on this one. Like, the right. Borg will not choose sides. The Borg will not give passage to you or you or your side or your side. They're kind of they're gonna come after. Right? <laughs> they hate all of us. Guess what? Yeah. Now they we have to work equally. together. We're in, we're backed into a corner, and we've either got to fight together or we're all gonna die together. 
Right, right. You know, if we're going to turn that corner, and this would be very late season DS9. Very much so. And then, and on top of that, we can involve the Klingons and the Romulans and the Cardassians. Yeah. Like, we can bring all of those people together. And basically, in Deep Space Nine, how it originally was, it was basically Alpha Quadrant species against Gamma Quadrant species with the Cardassians mixed in. Yeah. With this one, it would be very much... Alpha Quadrant, Delta Quadrant against the Borg. Two quadrants against one single threat. Yeah. And I'm wondering where would the weirdness be? Would the Cardassians or the Romulans try something where like maybe they may oh ooh, what if the Romulans tried to strike a deal with the Borg? In, in in order to be spared where they're just like listen like we know we're not going to win here so if we if we help you take this alliance over and we help give you earth and Kornos and everything like that you leave romulus alone and the borg's like totally absolutely we'll absolutely 100 percent do that and instead romulus is the first borg controlled world in the alpha quadrant and that is their stronghold oh, like they crap like the Romulan, the Romulus and the Romulan Empire is now Borg and they're in the Alpha Quadrant. Oh my. Well, okay. Wow. That is as catastrophic as Romulus blowing up with red matter. Holy crap. Woo. We're talking drastic. But you know, the Romulans don't know that Scorpion story, do they? Because no, <laughs> yeah, the Borg don't really make alliances. It's not a good idea. As we all know from that wonderful two-parter Voyager portrayed. But the Romulans are sneaky enough to try it. They're devious enough to try it. You're and, right, though. Yeah. And I think like that would be their undoing. Now, this is major. This is huge. This is crazy. A lot of people wouldn't like it. But then you have a war on two fronts. For the longest time, you had Cisco who only had to manage one opening. And it's kind of like the Battle of Thermopylae, where you had, that's why 300 Spartans could take on thousands of other soldiers, because they only had to funnel through the wormhole. But while being able to somehow take Romulus, they have to worry about the wormhole as well as Romulan space. Yeah, a little drastic. How the hell are they going to defeat them on all of these fronts? You've got to find a way... I think, to disable all of the network infrastructure so they can't communicate with each other and then you're dealing with them on an individual by individual basis. That's hard enough. Yeah. I think what they have to do is they have to consider genocide. And that's a huge thing. Like That's talked about in Deep Space Nine. That's talked about in TNG. And I think this is something that have to be considered where Picard's is just like... um, like he had the opportunity to destroy the Borg and he didn't because he felt like individuality would be a better weapon than just straight up genocide. And right. that's when the Admiralty said, uh, screw you, Jean-Luc. How dare you make that decision <laughs> for us? If you have another opportunity to take out the Borg, you take it. And they say the same thing to Cisco. They're just like, you need to figure out how to eradicate the Borg. And he's like, that's genocide. And they're like, yep, that is what we're asking you to do. Yep, because if you don't take them out, they will take you out. Who has the right to exist? Right. Yeah, that's the ethical question. Well, history shows it's the victor. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> and I think that's the question is that like, do they do it? How do they do it? And yeah, it's, do you I think- have, I just thought of something. Do you have kind of a, 
a middle ground where we try to reform the Borg. If you cut off their collective communication, can we deal with them as individuals, a la Seven of Nine, just on an incredibly massive scale? Is that worth an undertaking? I think that's the question. I think... I think that's that I think that is a, a that is a solid question that I think could ripple throughout the Star Trek universe for centuries where Right? That's a huge fallout. Like are they going to assimilate into our culture? <laughs> Forgive the phrasing, but that's what came to mind. I think that would be a thing where like let's say that's the argument where they're just like listen, we like we can either we found a way to completely eradicate the Borg where all of them die. Every single one of them, no matter where they are in the universe, dies because we go into the Delta Quadrant and we we blow this up. It's total, like, people do it all the time in sci-fi. They're like, oh, if you cut off the head, the body will wither and die. Right. Like, we do some sort of storyline like that. But then there's the opposite one where they're just like, okay, well, you can do that, and that's genocide and wrong, but we also found a way to eradicate their connection to each other. So they're still organic, they're still cyborgs, but they're no longer collected to each other. They're then like within a switch, they all become individuals again. And then they're like, so that way we're not murdering them. And then they have to adapt on their own. They can create their own culture. And if they want to, they can go back to being purely humanoids that like a la seven and nine, they can do that if they want to stay Borg, but yet individual, you know, like in data lore or something like, or like how data lore, I'm sorry, how lore did it, you know, that kind of thing. Uh And then, so there's all these arguments back and forth where they're just like, no, they would suffer. They wouldn't have any food available to them. There would be math deaths. There'd be, there'd be suicide. There would be, um, there would be war. There would be, there would be this, there be that there'd be no way for them to take care of themselves it would be better if they if we just turn off the switch and then people are like no no that's crazy and so you have this morality going back and forth oh i love it i love all the questions that this situation brings up it's like how much do we help refugees mm-hmm. you know or, or or um indigenous peoples when we've taken away their land their resources any ability for them to just exist on their own how much what do you do for, right. for people who are basically going to be going through a v- incredibly traumatic, life-changing situation? And they might not necessarily like you for it either. I think what would be interesting is that they don't do the genocide where everybody dies, but they do cut the link. And then in the next series or in the next movies or everything like that, we see how that progresses. What does the society of Borg look like Yeah, when they're not connected to each other? You know, like, are they good? Are they bad? Are they gray? Do they start integrating into the rest of society on other planets? So I think we would have people all over the spectrum in terms of the board reforming. Some are going to acclimate great and they're going to embrace being in a new society. They're going to maybe even be grateful that they're no longer Borg. That's sort of a thing. But then you're going to also have people who are maybe going to try and recreate the collective. They mm-hmm. they know nothing but being Borg. And you're gonna, I think you're going to have things all over the map. And that's going to make it interesting. And the people's reaction, other people's reaction to these former drones is going to be interesting too. Just because, ooh, Borg, scary. Are you a good person or a bad person? There's going to be a lot of mistrust. They're go- there's going to be a lot of prejudice on these people, no matter yeah, which way they go. Like, do you remember that, I can't remember the name of the species, but like, like one guy like sees Seven of Nine in the hallway. He's like, Borg! Yes! Kind of like like that. That's gonna happen. Oh, absolutely. So how do we deal with this? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
so much good stuff. Oh my gosh. And then you ask, like, then you find out later on, is there an, an is there another civil war? Like, did they create another civil war situation? Do they remain independent? Do they join the Federation? Is there a difference between Alpha Quadrant Borg and Delta Quadrant Borg? Like, Ooh. do... Oh, that would be interesting. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. What if there's a group in the Delta Quadrant just have kind of been left to their own devices? Nobody's paying them any attention. What are they up to? They may be up to some devious stuff. Yeah, I think it, it adds a lot of rich material where the queen is dead. There's no, you know, there's no more connection. They can't hear each other's thoughts. And so basically you have these beings who have access to very, very advanced technology, very advanced, very powerful technology. And you have the Admiralty who's just like, we need that technology. They need to give it over to us or we're going to take it. And other people are like, we need to leave them alone. It's theirs now. They're just like, is it though? Is it really Ooh. theirs? Because, you know, like... Right. What if there's a bunch of looting of former Borg space, property, Absolutely. what have you? Yeah. And who's I, using this technology for what? And I think that you could see that jump of technology in a future Star Trek show, like post Deep Space Nine, post Voyager and everything like that, yeah. where it's just like the universe now has access to Borg technology. And so everybody, everybody is now on a level playing field. And what does that mean? Yeah, like, what does that mean? What does it look like? Like, the Federation now has the same type of weapons as the Klingon Empire. The Klingon Empire now has the same weapons as the Kazon. The Kazon now have the same weapons as the Krenum. You know, like, it's just, like, everybody shares Borg technology or, like, has access to it because it's everywhere and no one's guarding it. And, like, no one can, like, like in the chaos, in the chaos that was the post-collective, whatever they want to call it. <laughs> yeah. Or the, or the fall of the collective. Everybody ransacked it. Everybody, including the Federation. And so what do you do when everybody has transwarp? What do you do if everybody has the better than quantum torpedoes? You know, like yeah. everybody has a big stick. So what does that mean? It's kind of, oh my gosh, it's kind of like the internet. Everybody has a voice now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and we see what kind of a disaster that can create on the internet. So this might really be, for lack of a better word, a shit show. Yeah, I think this is <laughs> this is really interesting because I thought... Oh my gosh, it opens up so much. Yeah, I thought the episode that you and I were going to create was just like, oh, it would be cool to see this on Deep Space Nine. It would be cool if this species popped up or like, how would this happen? You know, like how would right? it change? We didn't even talk about like the interpersonal stuff. Yeah, I was just thinking, oh, the Vidians are going to come over and try and harvest organs and make a run for it. Yeah. Now we've done a little more than that. Like this is because that's the thing with Deep Space Nine. That's the beauty of Deep Space Nine is that it told stories on a galactic scale. Yes. So it's very much in line with the DS9 story structure aesthetic. So we're just kind of switching it up and focusing it to the Borg because Voyager is not there to focus on the Borg. Right. Right. Bing, bang, boom. All right. Well, there you go, folks. Uh, that is our episode. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. This, uh, as with always, with our What If episodes, we want to know what you think and what you think would happen. It doesn't have to be Borg related. It doesn't have to be uh, specifically related to any species we talked about. It could just be what you think would happen on Deep Space Nine. Like, like would Worf come over? Would, you yeah. know, like, would there be, uh, would Jadzia still be alive? You know, like, would, uh, basically, like we, like we said, like, we didn't even talk about the interpersonal stuff, but do you have any ideas <laughs> of, like, what would you like to see? What kind of episodes would you want to see? Write us at thenerdparty.com slash contact, select, punch it from the drop-down menu, fill out the form, 
and uh, let us know what you think. And also, uh, if you could, if you could uh, uh, go to iTunes, go to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called, give us a review. If you give us a five-star review, we'll mention you on the show. And uh, you can find us all over social media. We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter. You can find me personally on Twitter at The Insane Robin. And you can find me at Oh the Profanity. Now, next week is going to be a lot of fun because we're going to continue to punch it. Ready for warp, sir. Let's punch it. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.